Welcome to the Marshall Pruitt Podcast, brought to you by Cooper Tires and the Justice Brothers. We are going back to an interview that I recorded with my pal Brian Herta at the Phoenix IndyCar race in 2018. Yes, I have a ridiculous amount of podcasts sitting in the can that I've needed to produce and get out like this one. The subject, which I thought would be fun to roll out here the week of the Long Beach Grand Prix, home race for Brian and home race for his son Colton, making his very first IndyCar start in Southern California where they are from. This is about Brian's 2002 oft-forgotten small blip on the career radar, but immensely cool Formula One test that he did with the Minardi team, the beloved minnows of Grand Prix racing. This was a chance where Brian, through something arranged by Racer Magazine, the great Andy Halberry and such, this is a, a pretty cool test that was done. Front cover magazine feature done for Racer in 2012. And this is Brian speaking about this really cool opportunity where, although he was a bit of an IndyCar veteran by that point, but actually moved into sports car racing, this is a chance for a proven, talented American to go and see how he fared. And we've arraigned most of the time as we get into, so it wasn't exactly a 100% flat-out test at Donington Park. So in the rain, in a V10-powered Minardi F1 car on wets, um, yeah, pretty cool. A lot of fun speaking about this with Brian. Then he mentioned some of the other things, too, about uh, getting to get up on stage and do some singing. Uh, he mentioned, actually, after we stopped recording about being completely slagged off by Eddie Jordan uh, and just all manner of great stuff. So Brian has great stories. Might seem like just kind of the cool dad, the chill dad, and uh, IndyCar team co-owner, but he's got a lot of great stories in there. So I need to unearth some more and add a few more to the old Brian Herta catalog here. So this is going back to 2002, Brian Herta, the time our man, the time high-speed Herta, got a chance to test a Formula One car and just regaling us here for about 15 minutes from the media center. Actually, the former media center. It's been knocked down at uh, ISM Raceways, they call it now, at Phoenix. So here we go with Brian, brought to you by Cooper Tires and the Justice Brothers. So, Mr. Herta, among my rather insane, obsessive racing magazine collection, I uh, recently came across the... 2002 issue of Racer with you on the cover. Yes, November uh, 2002. A little bit of a, a leg high kneeling on the uh, <laughs> Minardi Formula One car. It is a little GQ-esque. Yes. I just thought it was, uh, I remember that test vaguely and I didn't want to read through the whole thing and just essentially ask you all the stuff you already know or we might know, but cool chapter, cool little, I'm sure, experience in your career. How did it come to pass? Because at that time, champ car cart turning into champ car your career i mean there's a lot of things going on panos alms uh, that might stand out as a weird little sidebar it it was a weird little sidebar and you know really it was uh andy hallberry who was at at racer at the time the great andy hallberry great andy hallberry and and uh you know i think paul fanner had a had a hand in in helping to make this happen and <clears throat> the idea was they, they wanted to create uh, an opportunity for an American to test a current Formula One car and just talk about what, you know, the state of Formula One was like at that time because it had been a while since there had been an American in Formula One. I think uh, Michael Andretti really was the last one prior to that. And I, 
<clears throat> I'm going back, but I think this is before Scott Speed. Oh yeah. In Formula One, so there's kind of like, like a 10 year gap since there had been a, an American in Formula One. So the idea kind of started off as this: <clears throat> Hey, you know, let's have an American go over, test a Formula One car, talk about what it's about. And so when they approached me about the idea, I I, I think they probably didn't realize how much how badly when I was younger I wanted to race in Formula yeah. One that was like really a huge goal for me uh, and I tried to get into Formula Three and tested over there and did the Formula Ford Festival with the Team USA scholarship but I never really got the opportunity so when they asked do you want to go do you want to <laughs> do you want to fly to Donington and test a Formula One car you know is obvious hell yes heard of declines Formula Let, One yeah. opportunity so uh, and being opportunistic I thought, well, let's try and spin this up a little bit and see if we can't create some interest and maybe create an opportunity. At the time, you know, I last raced uh, in IndyCar the year prior. I was spending a, a year in sports cars in ALMS series with Don Panos's team. And so, you know, it's kind of like at a bit of a crossroads. You know, what am I going to do next? Am I going to try and go back to IndyCar? Am I going to stay in sports car? And this thing came out, and I thought, well, it's, it's kind of crazy, but let's see if we can't make it a little more than just a test. Sure. And, you know, can we get an opportunity? So, uh, you know, I guess you're kind of trying to take it upon ourselves to see if we could create a little energy around making it more than a test. In the end, it didn't work out. But So the setup was Donington with Minardi, which was a, a beloved team, but, you know, certainly trying to fight their way forward from the rear. So it... You unfortunately weren't heading to Marinello to test one of Schumacher's right. Ferraris. But, I mean, look, big screaming, it wasn't big, but a screaming V10 engine, uh, massive downforce. Mark Webber was getting his start in Formula One at right. the time. I mean, the, the car, the team, even, you know, the, the drivers, some, there was some talent there. What was it like stepping into that uh, just your first day walking in? Um... <coughs> You know, it wasn't. It, it was daunting in a way, but then it wasn't because I didn't. I didn't have a lot on the line, mm. right? Uh, it was. It was a really cool opportunity, uh, but when I got there, uh, and I sat down with Paul Stoddard, that was the first time yes. I'd met him, and he explained his two race drivers. One was one was uh, Mark Weber. The other was a Malaysian. Uh, driver named Alex Jung. Alex Jung. At the time. He was sponsored by KL, which is the uh, Kuala Lumpur airline. <clears throat> and he sat down and said, well, I just want to let you know that they're late on their payments <laughs> and we're trying to decide what to do. <laughs> and, you know, I think he was feeling me out to see if I had yeah, any American yeah. sponsorship. But, you know, of course, my ears perked right up. Like, where the could actually be an open seat later on this mm. year? This is... This was mid-season or a little past mid-season when we actually Piano's did the test. Motorsports has a good <clears throat> so, so I think there were three Grand Prix left. It was Austria, the U.S. Grand Prix, and Japan. And so there was a little bit of light banter about the idea of, well, could we drum up a little bit of support or find a way to have me complete the last three races? Uh, in the end, it didn't happen. It, it wasn't Austria; it was Hungary. Okay. Hungary. In the end, it didn't. It, in the end, it didn't happen. And as a matter of fact, they did take Alex Jung out of the car for Hungary, and they put Anthony Davis in, who was at that time funded by Honda. Yes. Uh, and they were talking about then I could come in and do the U.S. Grand Prix, 
being an American, and they they thought they might be able to sell that. Paul Stoddard was always kind of into that kind of thing. He was a salesman. So, so it looked like that was going to happen. But when when they took Alex Jung out for the uh, uh, for the uh, race in Hungary, I think the Malaysian government they they came back, and I I think they either made the payments or. Something happened, and Alex, Alex was reinstalled into the team for the remainder of the season. Thus went my opportunity. But I did get to drive a real Formula One car on a really great track, and I got to experience it in a damp but drying track and on a dry track. And, uh, you know, the, the quote that I always come back to with this, because at the time when I was driving with Panos, I was teammates with Jan Magnus, and Jan had quite a bit of experience in Formula One, and I asked him, you know what do you think? And he goes, he goes, Brian. As only Jan can say, I'm going to do a bad Jan, <laughs> Jan Magnuson impression. But you're Brian. The worst Formula One car you ever drive will be the best car you ever drive. Wow. And he was right. He was right. I mean, and this was actually, uh, if you recall, uh, Mark Webber had finished, I think, sixth yeah, earlier yeah. in the year in this car. Oh, yeah. It wasn't an uncompetitive car, and it had a lot of the driveline gearbox from the from the Jaguar F1 car. So it wasn't really a bad car. It lacked downforce to the bigger teams, uh, but it was actually quite a nice car to drive, and it was it was an amazing experience. I'm really grateful that I, you know, at least can say that I drove a Formula One car, and I, I got to see what that was like and understand or, you know, bookend that with all the other kind of cool cars I got to drive over the year. I love, love the fact that while many people know you as an IndyCar driver or followed your career in kart and champ car and such, you're stepping into this essentially out of the Batmobile, out of, you know, one of the coolest but also most unconventional prototypes we've seen in many years. So for you to not go from a high-powered North American open-wheel car to a European F1 car, but from this raging, naturally aspirated front-engine V8 prototype to this, it's a bit of a... I don't know if I want to say awkward vehicular transition, but I can't say that... I don't know if it would have prepared you in any way or had you at least accustomed to some quick speeds and whatnot. Do you think if you'd been making the, this test jump straight out of Champ Car, it would have done anything more or less for you? No, I, I mean, I was really actually really, really pleased with how the test went, how I performed. They had other drivers testing over the two days I was there. Justin Wilson was there testing uh, one of the, uh, they had two cars yeah. there. And uh, so, you know, in terms of getting getting kind of on terms with the car, especially the biggest thing was really the tires. And I don't think anything could have uh, prepared me for that. Was the they, had the gro- they had the groove tires yeah. at that time. And what was really interesting about that was in the medium and high-speed corners, they made little or no effect to the car whatsoever with the downforce uh, it felt very much like a slick shod car but when you got into the slow corners and the downforce came off they had no grip at all and you'd literally just be sliding around and so learning that kind of adaptation and that kind of really big weird transition between slow corners and medium and fast corners was probably the the biggest thing I had to adapt to you know the braking and all that stuff that they talk about was was you know more than what I was used to in any other car I'd ever driven. But, you know, you just kind of adjust your brake points. You get used to it. You know, your neck's a little sore the next day, but you move on. So you are testing the Formula One car, something you've always dreamt of doing. Did you allow yourself any time in the moment to have that sensation of like, wow, 
I am. I don't know where this is going to go, but I could, if nothing else, I can say that I've at least achieved one dream. Or were you two oh. locked in? <clears throat> yeah, I, I went over there fully with the attitude of I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna enjoy this experience as much as I can because it's. It, it it may at the time I thought well maybe it could grow into something else, but there was no guarantee of that. But I knew this was going to happen, <clears throat> and so I just wanted to really savor that moment and I you know I was able to do that I had a, had a great time as a matter of fact this was part of uh when we tested at Donington it was part of Minardi's Donington Days Festival that they yeah. had said so they're two-seaters out and I so they wanted me to drive the two-seater but I didn't really fit in it I wasn't really comfortable doing that so I didn't I didn't drive the two-seater uh but I got to test the Formula One car and I Damon, Damon Hill's band was there and played, and I got to get on stage and just sing a song with Damon Hill's band, which is kind of surreal, yeah. too, and another kind of Walter Mitty moment for me. So I, I had a really, really great time doing this. I had a lot of good memories of that experience. It was probably the only time when I really just went to test a car just to test it, and that was really all there was. Um, so it was it was really neat. And then, obviously, Racer did a really nice job. They you know, I didn't expect they were going to put put me on the cover, and and did a really cool article about it, and and so, you know, for me, it's it's one of those really cool memories, and I don't I don't want to feel like there would be a hole, but and I wish I had got to start a Grand Prix some one time just just to have done it, just to have been on the grid when the lights go out, all that stuff, but at least I can say I drove I drove you know a proper Formula One car and got to experience and know what that really meant and what it was like. And we were speaking earlier that uh, your son Colton would have been about two at the time that you got a chance to do this. Was, uh, he asked the old man about the test and if he still has any <laughs> contacts there that might open that up uh, in his, you know, his open wheel future. I don't even know if he knows I did this. I don't, really? You know, like you said, he was two. Um, he probably he probably has heard something about it. I think he, he probably knows because I actually have a m- model of this minority car oh. at home in my office. So I've probably told him at some point that I tested that car, but uh, you know, it's you know, I'm just I'm just an old guy that used to <laughs> think he was fast. Damn, you know, he's not really that impressed with anything I've done. So <laughs> I'm just like like a normal kid, teenage kid, and their parents, right? We, you know, he likes to he likes to tease me about it. It's the last question, Brian is. We haven't had much of this happening for young American talent that's really working in North America uh, for a while. I'm not saying it hasn't happened at all, but you know there was a time in the '90s, you know, where Paul Tracy uh, was over and tested with Benetton. We look back even further. Rick Mears had a test. Uh, Willie T. Ribs, Alan Sir Jr., yourself, Scott Pruitt. Uh, there was a pretty strong tradition of if you were showing some, you know, something uh, of potential here in North America that a Formula One team might look over out of curiosity. Um, does it matter anymore? Because those are big validating things. Ooh, a Formula One team said, yeah. hey, I want to try this guy out. <coughs> Do you think that still matters in today's IndyCar, that European validation? Not, not really. I mean, I, I think the two disciplines have grown apart so much mm. that... Yeah, you know, I, I think you. I, I think an American could absolutely be successful in that environment, but only as much as they want and would allow it to happen. You know, it's it's a little bit contrived. They can control so many things. They can control, you know, 
how you run compared to your teammate. <clears throat> you know, you could talk to Dario Franchitti, a whole bunch of guys that oh, tested yeah. Formula One cars, <clears throat> and have some really interesting stories about how it went. Michael Andretti, my partner now, uh, <clears throat> you know, you'd have it's got to be some kind of a cosmic stars aligning kind of thing where there's just a lot of energy, a lot of money, a lot of support behind it that's going to just push it through. And then it could happen. But I, I don't know how you put all those elements in place. I don't think it happens organically. I'll say that. And that was our man, High Speed Herta. Some great stories in here. Look, we're talking about Formula One, IndyCar, sports cars, singing, Damon Hill, uh, you name it. All kinds of great stuff. So thanks for Brian to take some time and bring this. And, you know, like I said, I need to come up with some more Brian Herta storytelling moments. If you have any ideas, any favorite Brian Herta moments, not the past at Laguna Seca from 96. That's been discussed to absolute death. But if there are other things, other aspects of his career where you think, hey, that might be a fun story to tell, let me know. I mean, he and I just love catching up and talking about whatever. So these things happen very easily. Got an idea? Let me know. Shoot me a note on social media, and I'm sure we'll find some time. All right. I am Marshall Pruitt. This is the Marshall Pruitt Podcast brought to you by Cooper Tires and the Justice Brothers. Thank you for listening.